China and Russia, two of the world's growing superpowers, are getting closer than ever. Their leaders, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, have met three times so far in 2018. During their last encounter at an economic forum, they pledged to strengthen ties even more. China and Russia have agreed to upgrade their relations to what's called a comprehensive strategic partnership of coordination for a new era. The decision was made at a meeting between visiting Chinese President Xi Jinping and his Russian counterpart Vladimir Putin.、Uh, we were lucky enough to develop a comprehensive、uh, strategic partnership with China, which is based、uh, on a great deal of confidence and. And trust in one another. Hello, and welcome to What in the World: International Relations Explained, which is a political-themed podcast that aims to bridge the gap between often long and jargon-filled academic explanations of foreign affairs, and then the simple and missing the key facts that we see in the news or other media, and put explanations of、uh, international relations in around a thirty-minute podcast that is easy to listen to and is accessible. I'm Sam, your host. I'm extremely passionate in international relations, having studied it and international security、uh, for many years in an academic setting. And over the past few weeks, we've covered、uh, many topics, such as the future of American foreign policy under Joe Biden, to the issues of the South China Sea. So, if you haven't listened to any of those already, then after this episode, why not go back and take a listen? The feedback that I've received from many of my、um, My regular listeners has been fantastic, and I do hope to continue to make many, many, many more interesting、uh, topical podcasts as the week goes on. So let's get into today's topic. In some Russian and Chinese state-run news outlets, there has been increasing talk of a Russia-China alliance bubbling away, and that both Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, and Xi Jinping, the Chinese president. Are close to signing some sort of official declaration of a of a military alliance, something similar to that. So, in today's podcast, we will look at whether this is actually realistic. Are China and Russia really good friends, or is there something more that separates them than actually brings them together? There is no mistake that in recent years, Russia and China have been coming together more and more on many issues. And that culminated to in 2019, both countries signed a joint declaration which laid out their friendship and opinions on many of the world's issues, which they both share either similar, if not the same, opinions on many matters. Whilst there is a lot that they agree on, the most prominent issues that I'll talk about today in the podcast are economic and security. So let's look at a,、uh, a little more detail of what the joint declaration actually said. Because the very opening of it sets out the very tone for the Sino-Russia relationship, it reads, and I quote: "The two sides are committed to peaceful development and win-win cooperation, promoting the best level of Sino-Russian relations in history, and setting an example of good neighbourly relations and win-win cooperation. Russian-Chinese relations are strong and stable, and are not subject to external interference, with great." Endogenous dynamics and broad prospects for development. End quote. So, what does this even really mean? Well, even these two sentences provide some clues and crucial bits of information. 
Now, both sides officially view this friendship as a win-win scenario, meaning that one side is not losing out in helping out the other side, and that there is only gains to be made from the friendship. And secondly, that their relationship is not subject to external interference, meaning that they are not under any pressure from anyone or anything else that would influence their decisions that they have made and that there is potentially no one that could drive a wedge between the two countries. Which I agree with actually, um, but I'll explain, with, uh, explain to you later how I think that the biggest issue with the friendship and potentially alliance is not any external partner interfering or driving a wedge between the two, but actually themselves, and why I think it's not a win-win corporation um, friendship, more like a win for one country and a dramatic lose for another, but we'll get into that a bit later. We really need to know why Russia and China are becoming friends though, and there is one key reason uh, that is often talked about, and in my opinion is a very key characteristic, and that is that they both hate the US slash Western-led international order, an order that values democracy, which they are both not, human rights, which they both don't respect, the rule of law, which they break on a daily basis, and the free market, which both countries kind of bend to fit their own system. So from that perspective, it is a no-brainer that they would want to come together and challenge that system to make it fit their own agendas. Whilst of course they do break the rules of the order and do bend the rules, there are often repercussions for doing so, and the breaking of the rules are frowned upon so they want to challenge the order and change it so that these kinds of ideas are no longer prominent and they can do what they want within the order and not be and not face any repercussions because of them. I, however, in my research for university, have identified another reason for this friendship. And that is Russia really, really wants this friendship. Russia and China, of course, are the predominant powers in the Asia region. China has considerable influence in South Asia, whereas Russia has considerable influence in Central Asia. Many Central Asian countries are former members of the Soviet Union and are now also members of many Russian-led organisations, such as the CSTO, or the Collective Security Treaty Organisation, which is kind of similar to NATO. And many are also members of the Eurasian Economic Union, a similar but very loosely um, similar to the European Union. Now, in previous years, Russia has often paid little, little attention to the ongoings of uh, its sphere of influence in Central Asia and has focused to, on uh, promoting its uh, influence in Europe because this is where the money has been. Europe has been willing to buy Russia, uh, Russian oil and gas, uh, which is its main export, and Europe has somewhat tolerated Russia. But... Since the 2014 Russian invasion and annexation of Crimea, the EU placed heavy sanctions and cut much of its diplomatic channels with Russia, which hurt Russia's economy bad. Inflation went up, the ruble collapsed, uh, sanctions really hit the uh, Russian economy hard. So, with frosty relations uh, between Russia and the West, Russian economic interests have firmly cemented to Central Asia, a region which has history with Russia. Russian economic interests in Central Asia mainly work under the assumption that by strengthening economic cooperation with Central Asia, it will finally form 
a Eurasian Economic Integration or Eurasian Alliance with Central Asia and promote the development of the Russian domestic economy. Russian economic interests are highly diversified. It moves away from being purely about trade to resource integration and avoiding competition on the international market and also a way of Russia plugging its highly educated labour shortage due to educated Russians leaving the country. Russia also has its eyes on China, the uh, economic power in the region. And for Russia, China is an attractive country to want to form an extensive relationship with. And uh, a scholar Tsetsov states that China seems to be the obvious choice as Russia's key partner in the Asia-Pacific, as it helps satisfy all the needs of Russian foreign policy. For Russia, it is pretty obvious that they feel that China could potentially uh, make up for the losses that they have experienced from the imposition of sanctions uh, on the country. So what I'm trying to say here is that there has been an obvious Asia pivot from Russia. Russia is looking for new ways to increase its commerce, trade, and is looking for a friend in China, and is looking for friends that also view the world as Russia does. And China is the most logical choice of this. So I've mentioned a little bit about economic uh, cooperation, or the potential at least for economic cooperation to take place. But the real meat of where the friendship is uh, between China and Russia is the security arrangements. Russia and China have a deep military security arrangement and relationship, which is often used in ex as an example of why the relationship is growing in a positive way. Examples often used to support this include uh, growing cooperation in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and also joint military exercises between Russia and China. In terms of the SCO, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, uh, cooperation between these two comes down to one crucial ideological position and that's regarding the US uh, unipolarity and the threat that US hegemonic status in Asia poses. Uh, uh, and although the Shanghai Five is not, an, uh, is not a military alliance directed against any external parties, leaders in both China and Russia have been united in a strategic partnership since 1996 against what they see as US hegemony and unipolarity. And they aim to maintain their joint spheres of influence in Central Asia. What's also important is that the SCO provides a platform for nations to tackle joint issues, namely terrorism and separatism, which sometimes go hand in hand. Russia and China are willing to tackle what China regards as the three evils, terrorism, separatism and extremism. And with that comes extensive joint military exercises through the SCO auspices and other avenues. And in 2018, China joined for the first time Vostok, a Russian military exercise, uh, which is a major milestone in Sino-Russia relations. Vostok 2018 is another in a series of milestones reflecting a strengthened Russia-China relationship, especially since the uh, onset of the Ukraine crisis for Russia. And whilst there isn't a formal kind of mutual defence arrangement, and what I mean by that is that if one of them was attacked, the other was bound to come to its defence, there is a clear security and military cooperation going on here. What's also important is their worldview as well. 
And if we go back to the joint declaration uh, and look at security, it states this. The goal of the Russian-Chinese security cooperation is to ensure the national security of the two countries, to create favourable conditions for the stable development of their respective countries, and to respond effectively to traditional and new types of security threats and challenges. This area seems like an area upon which Russia and China can cooperate effectively, mainly because both parties have a similar worldview and security concerns within the region. As often common in Russia and Chinese joint statements is their absolute belief in the concept of sovereignty, I mean at least for themselves. Chinese-Russian joint statements regularly affirm their shared commitment to upholding traditional interpretations of national sovereignty, which severely limit the right of external actors to challenge states' internal policies. Now this is important for both parties because it means that they are often that they often publicly refrain from criticising each other's security choices uh, in their spheres of influence, where it be Russia's anti-terrorism campaigns in Chechnya or China's civil liberty issues in Xiangjing. So from this perspective, the countries can get along because they've refrained from criticising each other and there's often no diplomatic repercussions from any criticism because there is none. So let's just recap a little before I get into the crux of the matter as to why I think the Russia-China relationship will not progress and even if it does, it will end badly for the two powers. So it is clear Russia has embarked on an Asia pivot in the hope for new economic gains which China, which they feel China can provide as it is the second biggest economy in the world, the biggest economy in the region and that there is also ongoing military and security arrangements with both countries doing joint exercises together. Both presidents have met very regularly and continue to do so. So really on paper, it sounds like this relationship is going swimmingly and what else could go wrong? Well, in my opinion, lots. There is so much more that divides the two countries and actually brings them together. So let's find out why. Let's look at the economic aspect first. Russia has very little to offer China. However, many scholars and analysts always draw conclusions on the need for China to be supplied with Russian gas and oil due to their limited reserves, and this is why the, uh, the relationship will continue to flourish. This, however, is not the case. Whilst, of course, Russia does supply gas and oil to China, it is not a win-win situation. China is increasing its supply of natural resources from Central Asian markets, namely those members within the Eurasian Economic Union, and this is to circumvent Russian prices and drive a hard bargaining and force the Russians to drop their price uh, for oil and gas. However, China cannot fully circumvent Russia for their mass need of resources, but they will exploit the positions to achieve exploit their position to achieve the best price for oil and gas. But from the Russian perspective, this is a double-edged sword, namely because in order for Russia to provide China's gas and oil needs, it would be facilitating China's rapid rise and potential hegemonic status in Asia, which would lead to a securitization of resources, which is a potential flashpoint. What's also significant is that as China's economic power continues to grow, it will demand greater influence in Central Asia, a region that is considered vitally important to Russian interests and is an important foreign policy area for Russia. 
A report by the Endowment for International Peace uh, highlights this precisely. Because China is growing rapidly and has a huge economic uh, has huge economic disposal vis-a-vis -vis Russia, they are more fluid and are able to change course more rapidly with little cons uh, consequences. Whereas Russia is only in a position to react to such changes and can only alter its course in very binary ways, either enhance cooperation at the expense of some of its power in the region or become more hostile to China at the expense of economic progress. Uh, the scholar Lunkin asserts that few in Russia consider that Beijing, suddenly overcome with altruism, will suddenly save Russia at its own expense if Russia turns out to be in a difficult financial situation. Beijing will insist on its own interests at times with tough terms. In negotiations, both over supplying oil and gas, there was a hard bargaining over conditions and prices. And there will continue to be this hard bargaining as China's economic uh, progress continues. And whilst Russia and China have shared values and identities, the growth of China will infringe on certain aspects of, the, of Russia's fears of influence, which, as evidence shows, creates worsening relationships. It is difficult for Moscow to accept sovereignty over former Soviet republics. They are zones of Russia's vital interests, where Moscow wants to be the leaders. China's full economic and uh, political ambitions are still fully unknown in Central Asia, but as power increases, so will the attractiveness for many in Central Asia uh, to look towards China instead of Russia, which will create this drift, something that Russia will just not allow. So we've tackled the economic uh, issues here. Now let's look at the security area, because this is really where uh, the drift is pretty apparent. And so while at first glance you would reach the conclusion that the security relationship is positive, and is a move towards peace and is evidence of their enduring friendship. A deeper analysis shows worrying signs between the two uh, and there are areas of growing concern. So in regards to the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, whilst Russia is willing in a normative sense to support China's actions against their so-called three evils, China has no reason to reject the call, but at the same time answering it implies inviting a potential competitor into its traditional sphere of influence. Russia's half-hearted attitude towards the SCO is derived from this dilemma. For Russia to acknowledge the issues that the SCO wants to tackle, it would be acknowledging that China has a claim to exert influence in the Central Asian region, which has significant problems with Islamic terrorism and separatism, something which Russia would just not welcome. This, of course, would go against the principles of non-interference of other states. Whilst, of course, Russia is allowed to break this principle because it perceives many Central Asian states as some type of subsidiary of Russia, China would not be able uh, would not be afforded such advantages. There is an inherent tension between the SEO states' desire for regional stability and the organization's mandate for non-interference in other nations' domestic affairs. This is significant because Russia, being one of the t uh, two major powers of the SEO, has the ability to act in unity with China on many issues, but due to Russia's fear of uh, losing influence over its Central Asian sphere, it will not act with China in Central Asia. And this has the potential to frustrate China 
and as both China's economic and military power increases, it will be able to unilaterally act, in some instances, bringing the countries into potential conflict. And the joint, uh, the joint military exercises are also uh, rather a false flag for supposed military cooperation. Whilst China was invited to Vostok 2018, both countries hold mass military exercises unilaterally that have more worrying motivations behind them. In 2013, Russia held one of its biggest military exercises in its Far East region against a fictional adversary. However, according to uh, Alexander Kramashenkin, an independent Moscow-based military analyst, the massive exercises held in areas along the border with China were clearly aimed at Beijing to discourage China from harbouring expansionist designs on Russia. He said, it's quite obvious that the land part of the exercise is directed at China. China has also held military exercises where it has simulated invading Russia's Far East region, showing that China too is not resting easy. Whilst one could say a lot has changed since then, uh, Vostok 2018 was not a change to an alliance, but purely an ideological necessity from both sides to posture against United States uh, and Western uh, movements. This worry by both parties is also reflected in Russia's unwillingness to provide China with sophisticated military equipment, out of concern that this would give them a greater edge in conflict. The Russian government has declined to sell its top-of-the-line military technology to China, with Russian policymakers worrying that providing the Chinese army uh, its cutting-edge defence products, it could then threaten existing military balances in the Asia-Pacific region, and would also antagonise other governments, including Japan and the United States, which are also worried about China's rising military power. And this has led to significant decline in the military arms sales of Russia to China. What this therefore shows is that Russia is highly aware of China as a growing power, and with that comes greater influence in Russian spheres. And giving China a military advantage is just something that is not acceptable for, Rus for the Russian government. Growing Chinese domination in Asia is at odds with Russia's immovable opinion that only it can have dominance in its spheres of influence. And unless by some absolute miracle, Russia has little to no hope in matching China's economic might. And this poses significant challenges for its organizations in the region. It creates incentives for the Central Asian countries to look to China rather than Russia and the Russian-led organizations for its economic growth. At another institutional level, the SEO worries Russia because it is another vehicle for China uh, to pierce into Russia's fears of influence. And this worry is evident in military exercises on each other's borders, where both parties are trying to test the waters of each other's responses. So I just can't see a way for this friendship to last into the long term. The only thing that really binds them together is their authoritarian leadership styles, which in itself can also create a wedge because you're never really sure what each other are going to do, and their hatred for the US-led international system. This relationship will always, always be one-sided. 
China is the economic and soon-to-be military power in the region. Russia will thus be relegated to some sort of junior power, something that Russia just would not be able to accept. China gets what it wants when it wants, and if that is part of Central Asia, it will do it. So far, they haven't upset Russia yet, but China's quest for continued growth will override its concerns for Russia's feelings. And if Russia and China don't get on, Russia becomes isolated, and an isolated, authoritarian great power is severely dangerous in the international order. So, in my opinion, if you ever hear someone say, oh, Russia and China, they're best of friends, they're, they're an alliance, they'll, they'll create an alliance together, they truly don't understand the geopolitics of the Asia region, which I don't blame them, to be honest. It's a complicated area. But this area really needs to be looked at. Otherwise, so many countries will make rash decisions on things that just may not be what it seems. So thank you for listening to this podcast episode. Uh, I hope you found it enjoyable to listen to. I loved recording this, as this is what my master's uh, thesis was actually on, and so it was a bit of a, a trip down memory lane for me. I would urge you to go and listen to the other episodes, which have, in my humble opinion, of course, been great so far. Uh, a little bit of news, however. Next week, there will be no podcast episode, but I will be back the week after, and this podcast will also be moving to fortnightly so I can juggle some of my other commitments. Uh, but the next episode will be looking at whether the United Nations Security Council, the most important organisation or the most important part of the world order, is fit for the 21st century. So please tune in next time and thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.